Welcome to this week of Tell Me More, where all three of us are in the video studio. And so we're excited to have you along with us. We talk about incarnation, we talk about prophecy, and just the, the way that these symbols and these stories shape our life, shape our worldview, how powerful they are. So um, we're glad you're listening and watching and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to another episode of Tell Me More. We are so glad that you are with us. Finally, all three of us yeah, we'll are back together. Out. Um, my stomach bug gone. My child's whatever that mystery was, fever also gone. Also gone. And we're here. Stage fright. Both of y'all had first two weeks. Yeah, which you've overcome. I'm it. still nervous. Neither of us have ever been on any video for our church <laughs> ever yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. So I'm excited Look to be here, us. though. I it's am a, too. It's a new era. It's fun for Tell Me More. So if you are a normal just audio only, there is now a video component that you could watch on Facebook if for whatever reason you wanted to see yeah. just our wonderful yes. faces. It's riveting. It is. Yeah. If you miss <laughs> seeing us, we're streamed. Yes. Not live, but streamed. But it's the same content in both places. Uh, yeah. One just says video. Yeah. Okay. So cool. it is Advent. It's December Okay. I had a big weekend. Y'all got to church. talk about Advent without me last week. We did. So I missed that, and I'm I know. sorry. And you're our Advent expert. I mean, my goodness. You I'm not grew an expert, up, but I grew up in the Methodist up, Church. I, I you, know. You, you did this. I did this. Yeah. And yeah. I did church without it, and I was happy to do church with it again. Mm. So now that's my summary from last week that I didn't get to say. Right. <laughs> but I, so. I listened to last week's podcast. Uh, good, not great, without me. Mm -hmm. yeah. you know? No, I'm just kidding. It was really, really, it was, it was a little, seamless. I mean, it's a little less than. We no, get it. No, it was quite good. And We're a we dynamic really trio. Need me, and we are a dynamic trio. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. So, But one thing I thought I would ask uh, you, Dr. Wiles, and mm -hmm. Luke, of course, but Dr. Wiles, you kind of architect these seasons within our church's life mm -hmm. in terms of themes and texts, because mm -hmm. you're right. the preacher. Mm -hmm. And so you chose for the season of Advent for this year, 2023, to be incarnation correct what were you mm -hmm. hoping why incarnation mm -hmm. and what were you hoping to accomplish mm -hmm. when putting that in front of our people mm -hmm. we're on the heels of last night's incarnation program right. which churchwide just the season as we build these things what are you hoping for why'd you choose it just mm -hmm. let us tell us more <laughs> that the average churchman wouldn't know otherwise right well, as many of our church members know um, my routine, over the last number of years, I'm not even sure how many now, I take the month of July out of the pulpit and spend a little time resting, but most of my time reflecting, researching, planning for the next year. And um, this, um, <clears throat> this past July was a little, a little different than, than what I've typically been able to do, but um, I usually just spend some time praying over what is it I really want our church to address over the course of the next year? How do I want ministries to be planned around all of that? And so last Easter, not not this previous Easter. So but, Easter 22. Right. We, um, we had asked the question, uh, why does Easter matter? Mm -hmm. You know, and mm -hmm. so that question, why mm -hmm. does it matter? Just, it kind of started, just, yeah. Yeah, just, it just lingered. I, I couldn't it? get it out of my system. Yeah. And so I found myself just asking the question, why does anything matter? Why does, um, why does the family matter? Why does, you know, just various mm -hmm. um, facets of that question. And so just felt led to spend this entire year 
on why just does it matter? gathered around that question. And so when I began to pray about and think about um, Christmas, you know, at the heart of Christmas is the miracle of the incarnation. And so, plus, I had chosen John to be our gospel guide mm -hmm. for the year, if you will. And, I mean, my goodness, John's gospel is the one that most boldly, you know, declares the incarnation mm -hmm. with the Word becoming flesh. And so mm -hmm. just felt like, okay, we're going to end the calendar year celebrating Christmas, actually launching, if you're really going to be liturgically correct, we're launching the new liturgical year at Advent. Um, we bring it to a conclusion on the, our calendar. My former church yeah. threw a New Year's Eve party for their yeah. children's ministry. That's fun. <laughs> And only Day Spring Baptist Church would do that, but they had because it was they were kicking off the new liturgical year. Correct. So a happy liturgical new year. That's right. So, party. Um, Classic Day Spring Baptist Church in Waco, Texas, which I love. Classic. But you know, yeah, but it church. but it forms the kids, and they it helps say. them. They're yeah. going to know when they have that party within the year. You know, it's mm -hmm. it's for the. Sure. I say it's for the kids, but it's a cute idea. It well, is. It's anyway. for me. Since we were studying John anyway, to me, it just felt like. This is the this would be the season to have the conversation about. So what what is the incarnation about? And and um, obviously we won't ever fully understand it. I mean it's it's challenging. It's kind of like the Trinity itself mm. is just really challenging. We mm -hmm. have to embrace it by faith. There's a mystery to it. There is. Mm -hmm. And and what's interesting is in our day we have kind of flipped the in, the incarnation. Um, we flipped the coin, if you will, because in Jesus' day, you know, if you were to ask the disciples, do you believe that Jesus is fully man? Well, that, that would have been somewhat of a ridiculous question to them because <laughs> they Here lived he with him, Here he is. Yeah. Right. walked with him, ate with him. Um, and so uh, they obviously were connected to the humanity of Jesus. But if you were to say to them, well, he's actually God in the flesh. Like when Jesus started saying things like, I and the Father are one, and mm -hmm. you know those kinds of very, or before Abraham was, I am, mm -hmm. those kinds of statements, you know, that... That's uh, the kind of peaking there. Hmm. Yeah, they're trying the to Criticism, out. their curiosity. So their journey of faith was embracing the full divinity or deity of Christ, obviously. Whereas we... We flip the coin in our day. I think for us, it's kind of easy for us to just say, well, of course we believe Jesus is the Son of God and we believe He's God in the flesh. We struggle a little bit more with this humanity today, mm -hmm. just yeah. trying to decide what did it... So how was, that was, really like? how was Jesus human? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. so it's kind of interesting. But, but all of it is the incarnation. I mean, it's the it deity is. of Christ, it's the humanity of Christ. That's all a part of the, the story of the incarnation. So mm -hmm. I just wanted us to live with it during this month. Not necessarily fully understand it, but just walk around it and <laughs> discuss it and look at, at uh, you know, how it was portrayed prophetically and then how it was actually fulfilled. So next Sunday, we're going to look at the eternal nature of the Son of God from John 1. And then on Christmas Eve that morning, we will actually address just the Word becoming flesh. So mm -hmm. kind of a crescendo, if you will. It's kind of what I'm trying oh, to Well done. Wow. It's like maybe there was some advanced planning to this whole thing. You know, sometimes that happens. Every once in a while, yeah, we got <laughs> both in our we got both in our system. But we got it for sure. Yeah, so okay. you know, um, and so this Sunday, previous that we just had today is Monday. We're actually here on a Monday. Um, it really is Monday morning for is. those watching, we, for those uh, listening. 
We pulled yeah. it off today. We, uh, I decided to, um, to spend a little time with Isaiah. Yes. Um, I have questions and, about that. Yeah. So you, because you, you have this, this massive prophetic book, I mean, it's the largest, um, prophetic book in the scripture. And, um, and it, it's a challenging book, you know, because it addresses such a broad scope historically of time, if you will. And that has caused modern scholars. It didn't cause pre-modern scholars any trouble, <laughs> but modern scholars have struggled with, okay, is Isaiah written by one person? You know, is, are there two authors of Isaiah? The, the idea of Deutero-Isaiah that the chapters 1 through 39 mm -hmm. would have been Isaiah proper, if you will. And then chapters 40 through 66, maybe like a school of, of Isaiah, if you mm -hmm. will. Because there's some uh, tough texts there about are. just time, yeah. timeline, yeah. You, era you, you in which they were written. Yeah. Well, it's one of the most of complicated time. books yeah, in the entire is. Old Testament. I mean, if you were to go to seminary and take an, a Hebrew yeah. class, yeah. even it's, into an advanced Hebrew class, you would still so not even begin translating right. Isaiah. It's yeah. complicated it's language. Hard. And it's long. It I mean, it's, long. it's a big old book. Yeah. And, um, but, but, you know, you have um, scholars who, who um, would entertain the idea that Isaiah did write it, all of it, and that, that it was probably compiled by people who followed Isaiah, you know. And within the school of yeah, Isaiah, we, as you might say. Obviously, these prophets had people around them. Yeah. Um, and we shouldn't be surprised uh, by that because this would have been written on scrolls. Yeah. So it's so, not like Isaiah has a large bound journal that he's exactly right. writing in. <laughs> Things are getting collected on papyrus scrolls that are then right. having to be collected. Correct. And then eventually are pieced together as a library That's of right. scrolls that you would then pull out. That a is section right. in that the form right. of a scroll. Yeah, it's and then it's, so Isaiah would not, be the largest one of those. This is not a word document. Yeah, it's, it's you know, to be typed physically in a cave. Yeah, physically, yeah. and um, but um, you know there are a number of competent scholars who hold to single authorship, and it probably won't surprise you too to to believe to know that that's where I I land. How I, about actually, that? I actually think Isaiah wrote it all. However, so um, he knew the future. Which I, I want believe, to talk about prophecy here in a minute. Uh, uh, this whole idea of predictive prophecy uh -huh. is obviously a part of mm -hmm. the Isaiah right. ethos, if you will. But just what I would say, though, to to those of you that are listening, um, I guess that's who would say it to, because who else would I say it to? I you mean, can say it to whoever you want, I but I don't think it's going to get to them. Okay, right, so. Yeah, there's at least three people that will hear this, because <laughs> okay, there are right, three good. people um, listening to you in this current moment. Yes. Well, you know, Isaiah, to me, it is different than most of the other prophetic books in the scripture because it is so sweeping. It's kind of a panoramic view of history of the sovereignty of God. In mm -hmm. other words, it's not like Nahum or Amos or no disrespect to those prophets, but they were very targeted to just one or two things that were just big issues to them. Whereas Isaiah is going to basically talk about the, the role of God, the sovereignty of God, God's handiwork, God's accomplishing his will throughout the course of history. It's more of a panoramic view, which is one of the reasons I think it's such a powerful book that mm -hmm. was so that caused even the New Testament writers to be so enamored with it. Um, and so it's a it's a powerful book. It's you know it's got the you know when you talk about a, a prophet, prophets typically they were forth telling. In other words, they were preachers. You know, they're talking to their own generation. Sometimes when we think of prophets, we think the only thing they do is predict the future. Mm -hmm. Well, God gave them this through His Spirit, obviously. He gave them wisdom and an ability to see beyond the horizon of their own lives. Not really sure if they even knew that, to be honest with you, <laughs> how far off that was. 
because they had a message for their own people. And uh, but but Isaiah seems to have such a such a um, insightful take on just the nature and character of God that the people of his day needed to hear. I think that's what was that's what's so capturing about Isaiah. Like like for example, the the if you think Isaiah's there in Judah and the Assyrians are assaulting and they're making their way southward. And anybody with any sense knew that neither Judah nor Israel is a match for Assyria. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that's almost ludicrous on its mm. face. You just, <laughs> I mean, mm. um, just, you just, you just weren't going to conquer them. You don't them. go up against no, them. No, they, okay. were, they were too powerful. There were too many of them. Um, it's kind of like that scene in Braveheart where that guy says, there's so many. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, that's what, when you see the Assyrian army coming, that's what yeah, you think. That's how you it, think, I'm sure that's how yeah. it was. Okay. Um, However, so if you could choose to not go up against them, correct, you might. Right, okay. but Isaiah was able to to help these folks understand that the that even though what they were about to experience was the judgment of God, because that's exactly what he says. You know, this, the the Assyrians were going to be used by God, but there's hope even in God's judgment, and that's what was mm-hmm. hard for them to fathom. How how can there be hope in judgment, mm-hmm. and and also the whole concept of kingdom and what the kingdom of Israel was supposed to be like. And Isaiah paints this portrait of this suffering servant who's going to be the instrument of the kingdom. Well, how, how, how do you reconcile these things, you know, from an earthly perspective? Right. Well, Isaiah had a different perspective, an eternal one. And so that's what I think is so beautiful about the book itself. It's just overwhelming, you know, to try to sit down and take it in. You know, yeah. it's so long mm-hmm. and it's so complicated. And it's foreign to us sometimes because of the geographical language if you don't right. know your Old Testament, <laughs> it's complicated. Then it's really difficult yeah. to read it, you know. But just to highlight the significance of the book, I believe Isaiah is the most quoted Old Testament book in in the New Testament. Yes, it's so, just the, mm-hmm. the New Testament theologians just couldn't get away they from Isaiah. They took it seriously. Yeah, yeah, the gospel writers, yeah. you know. And uh, and then it's funny how I'll say funny. It's interesting how Isaiah. You know, you're, you're in the middle of this onslaught of the Assyrians, and Isaiah wants to talk about children. You know. Mm. <laughs> This baby's going to, a virgin's going to have a child, or this child mentioned in Isaiah 9 that mm-hmm. I mentioned yesterday. Mm-hmm. You can only imagine what are these people thinking? Is King Ahaz going to have some special baby? Right. Is so that's, that's a question that happen? I had just <laughs> as we know? think about the text and maybe beyond what you were trying to do with it yesterday, but mm-hmm. this is tell me more. So right. here we go. When, when, yes, I mean, Luke, you had, you had pulled it up, right? Isaiah 9. Yep. That's what the passage is from. When Isaiah is saying, Unto us a child is born. Right. Will you help me get that right? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, yes. and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So, okay. Yeah. Charlie Brown Christmas gets it right. <laughs> we understand the context, but we are way That's beyond right. the scope of who would have heard this for Correct. the first time. Sure. So what, what in the world... Is he trying to say, and how would it have landed with those hearing it? Mm-hmm. And what what sense would they have tried to make out of it? Did it make sense in that time? Mm-hmm. What's the nature? Help me understand. Well, I think we're Help far enough we're understand. far enough along in the history of the people of God to where they're beginning to recognize that sometimes when God speaks through these prophets, He speaks beyond their era. So there's already a little bit of that in the water. Okay, you know, and they would have even just kind of. Seen they that. would have recognized, okay, God is sending a message to us, and this may be beyond us. But there had to be some kind of hope in it that he was speaking to us. So you've got that tension all the time in the prophetic material. 
And, uh, and so I'm sure that when you hear this message that a son is going to be given, you know, if you could have stopped with, um, you know, I know as a child is born, a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders, he'll be called Wonderful Counselor. If you'd have stopped right there, Hezekiah maybe could have fulfilled mm. that because mm-hmm. he was such an honorable king, yeah. you know. And But then <laughs> Isaiah continues, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of his reign, there will be no end. Yeah, right. Like, well, now I don't know if that's Hezekiah. We've entered into some other dimension here. And so what's going to happen over time, and, it, and it's a very positive thing, the Jewish people are going to begin to realize that there's another era mm. that's coming, and someone is going to usher in that era, and in that they found great hope. And they're going to circle around this text. Correct. Mm-hmm. This, this is not. This has not texts. yet been. That's right. Fulfilled. This is beyond us. Mm. And it helps them kind of right. And then prepare. as you get further along in Isaiah, he's even going to describe it even further as to who this special person is, if you're paying attention, and how he is going to usher in this new kingdom, if you will and that the Spirit of the Lord is going to be on him, and he's going to proclaim freedom to the captives. And, and so um, there's going to be this messianic hope that will be built around all of this. But I think in the earliest expression of it, they gra- had to grapple with, so what is God mm-hmm. really saying to us? Mm-hmm. What I would probably contend is it was a message of hope to let them know that God did have a plan for them, even if it mm-hmm. might not have been experienced in their lifetime. Mm-hmm. There was hope for them. And that's woven into the psyche of the Jewish people anyway, to have hope beyond themselves. I mean, that's why Mm. land and children are so important, you know, that there's going to be life beyond us, that represented life beyond them. And so, but then the messianic expectation gets woven into it. And so, as Luke said, then all of a sudden, when Jesus comes, these New Testament theologians, I'm talking about the ones who wrote the New Testament, they are the ones who begin to realize, wow, look look at this, (laughs) and look at this. Look at this. It's almost like it's a it's an era of spiritual discovery, mm. maybe unlike anything that's ever been experienced in history. That that first century, um, you know, um, Todd Steele, the dean at Tritt Seminary, or N.T. Wright, some of these guys, um, these scholars. Um, well, I, I like to talk to them sometimes, and I tease them because they lived their whole lives in the first century, and the reason they do, you know, um, it, you know, N.T. Wright says he's a second temple to New Testament. Christian, you know, that's that's where he lives all of his time and study. And then mm-hmm. Todd will tell you, you know, while you were texting, I was back in the first century because I'm <laughs> I'm a first century person. Well, yeah. The thing Pardon is I'm back. That, yeah, that but that that first century may be the most densely packed, theologically rich, um, spiritually enlightening century in all of history. Mm. And right. if you're trying to make sense of the world, that's right. Especially and, the Christian world. And so the Lord gave insight to people like Matthew and John and Paul and um, these Peter, these these people who became the early New Testament theologians to help us understand all mm. these connections, and um, so I'm I'm so grateful for it. And and you're right, Luke. These guys are reading Isaiah because they're they're Jews, right? They've read Isaiah their whole lives. You know, they've listened to it in the synagogue, and now all of a sudden, the Spirit of God is letting them know. Here it is. Jesus even does that. Jesus this is fulfilled today in your hearing. Here it in is. Chapter 4. Yeah. yeah. So like, huh. Let me read this to you from Isaiah. And yeah. sits down. A scroll says, drop moment, if you will. I was going to say, yeah. voila. Yeah. So can you imagine? Yeah. I mean, can you imagine if you had been, you know, Jesus' RA leader, you know, and, 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 and all of a sudden he's sitting there. For those of us that didn't do it, RA was some oh, kind sorry. of kids program. Yeah. Royal <laughs> ambassadors. Um, and they talked about the Bible a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But they get it right? Missions. Whatever. Okay. You know, oh, they talk about missions a lot. He stands up and reads this text and then just sits down and goes, voila, I mean, here I am. 
Well, and that's where wow. I mean, we can you know. talk about Jesus. Yeah. Um, well, we can always so, talk about Jesus because right. it's... <laughs> but these prophets, I think but, they, at some point, I, I would probably say, yeah. in, in my understanding, Katie, I, you know, when these prophets are writing, they, they had to recognize that God was, through His Spirit, was giving them insight and wisdom beyond their ability. So it wouldn't surprise me if they also recognized that some of what they were writing is about an era beyond them. Yeah, so that they don't even really understand right. what mm -hmm. they're writing. That's right. Which is a little bit wild. It is. To me. But, but it's, you know, Paul, I mean, Peter says they were carried along by the Spirit of God. There's this, mm -hmm. there's this, this inspiration of the Spirit that also is somewhat mysterious. But what it does is it's, it's woven through the fabric of the literature itself. It's one of the reasons the Scripture is so endearing to us. It has this power in it that's mm -hmm. just unexplainable. You know, and it's a spiritual power, so it's rooted in the Holy Spirit and the wisdom and insight of God. But I would also say I think that these th these prophets were helping Israel with any uh, to build an eternal perspective, so they wouldn't be so beholden to what was happening right in front of them. You know, which again is a lesson for us. You know, um, mm -hmm. because they had to see beyond some of their circumstances, and yeah. and hopefully. You know, every once in a while, one of these kings would get it right. One of these kings would say something to the prophets like, well, what do you think we ought to do then? What is God saying? Rather than just consult your advisors, you know, and build a, get, make a military decision, sometimes these kings would say, well, let's see what the men of God are saying. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and maybe we can have insight. And, um, and so I, I think what's, what I learned from that is I think, we're, I think we're in that even today. You know, we as Christians... We should look at the world and watch all the events that are unfolding in the world, but we also are to do it with an eternal perspective, you know, yeah. to realize God is at work in the world right now, just like He was then. And that's sometimes hard for us because we become so rational and so scientific and we feel like we can always explain everything away. It's coincidental or you can figure out why this happened or why that happened when actually God is working in history right now, just like He was then. Right. So, and so that's one of the other things you talked about on Sunday was this kind of issue of worldview and what you're describing as a Christian worldview, mm -hmm. wherein we see God as an active, dynamic presence in the world today. Mm -hmm. But obviously, there are other worldviews. And I Correct. think for those listening to the podcast, it can be tempting to want to think, I have a purely Christian worldview or <laughs> I have a purely biblical worldview. Right. And very humbly, I would like to suggest that Hit us with it, Luke. maybe you don't have a purely biblical mm -hmm. worldview and you're, mm -hmm. you're not aware of the ways that you've been shaped by the philosophical developments of the 1700s, mm -hmm. even though you have been. Mm -hmm. um, so just that's mm -hmm. something to be aware of, that mm -hmm. sometimes you may think you've got the biblical worldview nailed. Mm -hmm. But we all come with our own biases. We all come with this, spots, having been shaped by yeah. philosophical mm -hmm. developments of mm -hmm. centuries. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and when you're, you know, when you think about how the whole idea of of a worldview, you know, we didn't really start talking about it until the 1800s or so. But but it's obviously it's it's been a part of human humanity and just the human understanding of of reality as long as there have been human beings, we've always had to come to grips with what do we really believe and how do we, how do we interpret what's happening around us. But when you're thinking about a worldview, there's just so many factors, you know, they're in constructing mm -hmm. a worldview. Yeah. You know, you, you have to have um, a narrative. There's a story underneath reality. Mm. <laughs> and so we all have to have that. So no matter what worldview you 
ascribe yeah. to or don't ascribe to, you just live into. Correct. Yeah. There's, a, there's, there's the, a story under it. There's mm -hmm. a there's a compelling narrative that gives context to your reality. And yeah. so every worldview has that. Can I just say that this is, again, a demonstration of how philosophical development shapes that? Because that right. is actually one of the things, and don't be alarmed, that mm -hmm. postmodernism has actually mm -hmm. done has caused us to see the world through a narrative. Mm -hmm. Framework. That's right. And that's not mm -hmm. necessarily a bad thing. Or, it's just a thing. It's just a thing. It so it's a way it to is. see. Yeah. And you, so, okay, help me understand. Help us understand. So you're saying that there's a narrative underneath mm -hmm. everybody's worldview. Absolutely. But if it's not a Christian narrative, then mm -hmm. fill in the blank. Help us. Who? What narrative is it? Well, it, it, some of that depends on um, your religious convictions or your heritage, if you will. Right. What if you have no um, religious conviction? Um, That's what I'm trying to think about. That in itself is a narrative. What narrative under <laughs> underlies know? the atheist yeah. worldview? Yeah. Well, and again, even that depends. Help me understand. Mm -hmm. So some of that, and the, there, this could be debated, <clears throat> but the atheist worldview in many ways owes itself to the Protestant worldview that you could actually protest the religious establishment and make a thoughtful choice mm -hmm. regarding religion. Mm -hmm. So that in and of itself is actually has religious undergirded um, by religious, religious assumptions. Kind of mm -hmm. um, it has a religious mooring because it's different than you can be an atheist in China that's been shaped by mm -hmm. communism or just Taoism, which is more of a philosophical way of mm -hmm. living. It's not necessarily religious. That's a very different kind of atheism than we encounter in Western culture. Mm -hmm. In Western culture, atheism has a more protest. Yeah, I would mm -hmm. agree with that. A mm -hmm. Protestant, yeah. if you will, yeah. mm -hmm. undergirding. The fact that we call it atheism. Yeah. I mean, so, God's yeah. the name. The very you know? name of it. Yeah. It's a certain, um, it has a certain rebellious, if, you, if I could say that respectfully, feel to it, that I'm, I'm rebelling against, against this prominent perspective of the West and offering an alternative. But you still have to have a narrative that explains it all. You know, there's a, and, and when you're building it, not only that, there's ethos, there's symbols, you know, that represent your worldview. And mm -hmm. but then you have to answer all the core questions. That that's one of the uh, building one of the ways you build yeah. a worldview. And so mm -hmm. those who spend their time studying and scholars who teach it in academic in the academy, it's done one way, I guess. But it filters out into the world mm -hmm. because we all we all have to develop it ourselves, you know. And so, you, but you have to answer questions like, um, you know, first of all, God is such a prominent presence. There has to be some at some point a conversation about God, even if it's going to be a protest against Him, or if it's going to be a, you know, a, uh, if you're going to have multiple gods, or if you're going to at some point, some everyone some has kind to of conversation to grapple right. with the, yeah, an ultimate reality. Is God. there a greater being? Yes. Question. And then you kind of you'll you have to deal with metaphysics. I mean, what is what is actually real? I mean, epistemology. How, how do you even know anything? You know, cosmology is. I mean, what what's what's what, underneath what's the universe? This? You know, yeah. where did it all come from? Uh, anthropology. What do you, what do we believe about human beings? Um, morality and ethic. How do you how do you discover what the moral order is going to be, and how do you judge it? Um, and and then. If you want to deal with life beyond this, if you ponder that, well, that's a, for us, we would call that soteriology, what, you know, or eschatology, if right. you will. And so all of those components are just a part of you dealing with these massive questions that human beings grapple with. And they shape how we view And they the shape world. how we build a worldview. And, mm -hmm. I, and, and if you've got this compelling narrative underneath it, 
then all of that starts to fall together. And so what I think what Luke was just saying about a Christian worldview, a biblical worldview, well, we have a compelling narrative. We do. You know, we have a cosmological argument. We believe God's underneath all of this. And so therefore we begin with a very purposeful, you know, understanding of all of this. And, and you also have to deal with history. You know, every worldview has to somehow address what's the historical reality and what's the meaning in history. And you have all these views of history, different mm -hmm. philosophies of history, you know, and me being a Christian and a, a biblical theologian, I have a providential view of history, you know, and so I actually be, believe history is filled with meaning, that God is the one who intervenes and acts and he's moving it toward a desired end. Um, and so and the reason I chose to address all that Sunday morning is because I just, I guess I just felt led to challenge our people to truly ponder how Christmas fits into this worldview of ours and actually um, how it just marks our worldview in a unique way that the birth of Jesus um, is, is such a part of this compelling narrative and this whole story of redemption and God's plan to restore everything that's broken. So I, that's why I tried to lay out in my message Sunday morning the chaos of what some worldviews offer us mm -hmm. and how the created order is just, it's the, the creation is, is, has run amok, you know? And it's yeah. an mm -hmm. easy argument because as we talked a little bit last week, Luke and I talked last week about the difference between personal responsibility and your own sinfulness and the acknowledgement that there's sinfulness in the world, that there's this brokenness in the world. And so the, the, the creation to me is out of sync. And so the question is, what is the answer to that? And, and I believe any thinking person right now would admit creation's out of sync because you look at the world mm. and there's, I mean, Hamas and, mm. um, you know, terrorism and all the, the, yeah. the wars and, and not just that, the, you know, even, you know, the devastation sometimes in nature, you know, there's just evidence everywhere. Yeah, yeah the world is just not right. It's just not right. Mm -hmm. And so <clears throat> Christmas to me is where we pause to celebrate the fact that God has intervened and the process of making it right is in place. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. a part of our compelling narrative, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. And so for me, Christmas, um, as mm -hmm. Christians, if we don't know how to celebrate Christmas and understand its full impact as best we can, well, then heaven help the world. <laughs> right. <laughs> because then it just becomes a, you know, kind of a trip down memory lane, so to speak, or, mm -hmm. or, you know, an excuse to be nice to someone or to decorate your home or whatever. Right. And well, then um, there is a, it is increasingly difficult. I'm thinking about, I have kids now, not that they quite understand, but we're a lot of conversations about how we're forming them. Right. Um, a lot of even Christian children might think that Christmas is like Santa's birthday. That's right. I mean, mm -hmm. there's so much mm -hmm. in the world mm -hmm. yeah. around us, our, mm -hmm. our microculture, whatever that there is. <clears throat> if you're not forming, if we're not saying it a lot and well, then they're going to walk away mm -hmm. from right. the Christmas season. Pretty sure it's about gifts mm -hmm. and family right. and trees. And right. Even, sure. Yeah. Like reindeer. That's why those yeah. symbols to me are part of the worldview to me. Symbols matter. And so yesterday at our church, you know, we had three young people baptized. Well, we're, we're embracing the symbol of new life in the intervention of God in Christ. Right. And we're lighting these Advent candles symbolizing the, 
you know, the darkness is being pierced mm -hmm. by the light. I mean, I guess, yeah. you know, we, if you, if you had week, a, which are things where you could do this and it's almost like you could just darken the whole room and just light that first candle and say, mm -hmm. okay, it begins, yep. you know, right. and then the second candle, yeah. it continues. And eventually that whole wreath is lit and mm -hmm. you light the Christ candle and it's like, okay, the light has come, you know, and to me, that's the beauty of that candlelight service. And then you start sharing that light and then we become that light. Yeah. Well, those are powerful symbols, and I think you yeah. need them. And you yeah. can do that at home. Yeah, you can right. light. Can't, and it, that's how yeah. it started. Yeah, it is how it started. It's yeah. something that we you know, commercialized Advent it. didn't start yeah. with the you know boxes of chocolate where you open the door every every <laughs> right. day. Yeah. Those are fun, right? Of course. Uh, so if you're yeah. doing a just monthly, for the record, we are not speaking out against very pro those Advent very pro chocolate eating calendars. chocolate every yeah. day. Did you know Clinique at one point made a makeup calendar and it was a wonderful gift and they stopped making uh, it. So I, I've heard that Aldi does a cheese at, one and it sells Clinique, out in record please. time every year. It's a wonderful gift to gift many of the women in your life and they haven't done it for years. Okay. Anyway, moving on. But you. Bring it, but Greek did not start the advent calendar. No. Turns out, yeah. Right. And yeah. so Bring it doesn't. It you don't have to go buy a wreath. Um, you don't have to make it complicated. You can mm. just get, and you don't even have to do the color. No, the candle. colors yeah. came later. Yeah, yeah. Just Whatever. get five candles of any shape and size. Any shape. And if you're with a family, as you sit down for your meal, or even just once a week, sit down together and just say, "We're lighting this candle to remember that." Christ is coming into the, the light world. Is coming into the, the world. light is coming. Mm -hmm. yeah. The people in darkness mm -hmm. have seen a light, right. and, the, and that is it. coming. Yeah, I and, was I was reading about Advent last the, the Advent candles and their origin last night because Kara was trying to make a Facebook post. Kara's office is right here, and pointing to the camera, <laughs> uh, and she wanted to get it right, so we were texting, and I was like, oh, "Let me make sure I get this right," yeah, you know. Right. <laughs> and so I was reading. I looked up a, a Methodist history of the Advent ca candle because I could kind of trust the Methodist history of Advent candles. And they they were pretty explicit in this article that like the commercialization of the Advent yeah. candles mm -hmm. brought the colors and kind of the uniform nature right. of uh, the theme of each week. Mm -hmm. But it started in homes mm -hmm. of it's very very campy, very sweet, yeah, ordinary of just like what do you have? Mm -hmm. And if you can light a candle in increasing amounts mm -hmm. as you get closer to Christmas mm -hmm. to symbolize mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. represent mm -hmm. this. Great mystery, like you're that's trying right. to say, this thing that's mm -hmm. really hard to articulate, mm -hmm. but maybe just, you know, a flame, mm -hmm. and then the next week, more flames. But it's a really... The room is illumined. Room. It's a tangible beautiful. concrete symbol for mm -hmm. children, exactly. which they need that, because when we say Jesus is God, that's not necessarily... They can repeat it, but it's hard... Yeah. If we as adults yeah. have a hard time figuring yeah. out what that means... Can you imagine? Your four-year-old mm -hmm. does not know what it means. Right. Yeah. But they can understand this concrete symbol They might not understand that the word was made flesh and right. dwelt among us. Right. But they can understand a room mm -hmm. getting brighter. Right. They can. Yeah. And so it provides this really tangible way to yeah. walk through mm -hmm. what we believe with mm -hmm. children. So and I guarantee they will be entranced mm -hmm. by fire mm -hmm. because yeah. kids love fire. <laughs> yeah. If nothing else, they'll want right. to light the candle. That yeah, is it's right. just really beautiful. And I think the more yeah. we can have small meaningful mm -hmm. symbols. This is one of the reasons you brought the Lord's Supper back, mm -hmm. brought it back. Mm -hmm. Dennis, Just more regular. D Dennis R. Wiles did not more bring frequently. it back. But mm -hmm. to, to reinstate it, I'd say monthly, because mm -hmm. there's something about it mm -hmm. that, that helps, helps shape our people. That's and right. you know that, and you, you're and it, connected and it, about it. And it brings an intersection between you and, and the most holy, if you will. And and it's like you're, what I love about the Lord's Supper is you're, you're holding it in your own hands. Mm. You, 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 you are actually touching this bread and this juice and and you realize it's it's just a taste. It's obvious. All it is is a taste of what we're ultimately going to experience. It's also a, 
an expression of gratitude for what Christ has done for us. And so I love the uh, the rich symbolism that we have. Richard, and you can go you can go to seed on it. You you oh, can, people do. You, you yeah. can take it yeah. to where it becomes the thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, it's like a, this is just a little. This is a Dennis Wiles thing, but uh, can't wait, can't wait. Well, this obviously did not make it in the sermon. So this is a hot take. yeah, it's definitely well, a tell me more if nothing else. Know, yeah. I uh, in, in another church, um, I was um, challenged to the the way they did baptism. The person that got baptized gave a testimony, and then they when they left, they would get baptized, and when they left the baptistry, they were given a candle and this little little kind of container of salt. And then the the church would say, you're now the light of the world and you're the salt yeah, of the earth. I've been okay, which is all that. fine. Yeah. Is it? Well, it's all good. <laughs> okay. But you I, can tell us when I got there, I dished all the because yeah. what I told them was, I said, I love all that. And the, But I said, you know, but the baptism itself is the testimony. The, the, the baptism is the symbol. I don't need a candle. I don't need salt. I don't even need the testimony. The very fact that they're in this water hmm. means they have the testimony. We can do that later, and we will. But right now, we're going to celebrate this. This is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Mm-hmm. This is the resurrection of a new life that once was us. dead in yeah. Christ. And so let's do that, hmm. and then I'll let y'all do all this other stuff at some other point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, mm-hmm. again, no disrespect when anybody else no, does. But to me, that moment of baptism is full enough I'm not going to add anything else to it, if that makes sense, because it's a rich, powerful symbol to me. And um, and that's what I love about the Lord's Supper, both. It it stands on its own, Mm -hmm. and it's tangible, and it's meaningful, and it's it's ordinary. It's water, and it's bread and juice. And all of those things (laughs) force a conversation with my child in worship every time they happen, which is great. Yeah. What does this mean? Another thing that we we have instituted more recently as a church, uh, although our brothers and sisters around the world have done it for a long time, is Ash Wednesday. That's right. Which is similar. We don't Mm -hmm. treat it with the same regard and and esteem, but I think maybe for the givers of the ashes, Mm -hmm. me and Kurt and you, Dr. Wiles, Mm -hmm. uh, I I was on maternity leave Mm -hmm. last year, but Mm -hmm. I don't know if someone else did it in my stead, but we are taking... What once was vibrant, palm That's trees, right. Right. we've burned them into ashes, mixed them with a little oil, mm-hmm. and we are putting them on people's heads. So mm-hmm. we are taking, at, like, literally just dead ashes and mm-hmm. telling people, hey, this is you. Mm-hmm. And actually, you're going to die, too. That's right. I mean. <laughs> That's right. And, <laughs> and, it, it's, and it's an ancient yeah. practice that in the Old Testament, when you when you were just acknowledging your brokenness and, and your inability to handle or manage your way out of what you're facing, they would just mm-hmm. cover themselves in ashes. <laughs> Just, it was just like yeah. death, and wh- where am I going to find any hope? Mm. Well, to me, the journey to the cross begins with an acknowledgement of that, that without this story, which is a part of our compelling narrative, it is. <laughs> you're dead in these ashes. That's the only answer there is, and everybody's going to taste it. You came from it, so dust right. to dust you so return. I, I love all the symbolism of it, yeah. and, and I think, as, as I said, you can go to seed on it, um, but you can also just do it well. There's also that option. <laughs> Yeah, because like I've been in an Anglican church where, and I've heard the critique, if you do Lord's Supper every week, it loses its meaning. But every week it was super meaningful. But Mm -hmm. in an Anglican tradition, you kneel and you pray the prayer of confession collectively as a church before you do it. Mm -hmm. And so I think it all depends on how you are shepherding and stewarding Mm -hmm. the moment as a church. Um, It's not about the frequency or the infrequency. It's 
Right. And you, we, and, and you know, in our society to me, particularly, in, particularly in the, in the free church tradition, um, we can, we can, um, just walk past the power of symbolism because we've done it almost our whole existence, or we can find a way to embrace the beauty of it all. And like I said, not go to seed on it and keep it theologically rich and deep and hold it in tension. And, and I think that's, that's the path our church has chosen. And I find it very meaningful and it's I a good love balance. It. So anyway, and I'm, so I'm here for it. Yeah. yeah. What's well, so Christmas to me? I mean, I love all the traditions I do. It's fun. Um, but at our home, in our home, um, we, we collect nativity sets from all over the world. And um, I'm not really sure how many we have. We don't, we don't even put them all out anymore because there are just too many of them. But we put enough of them out. Well, if you don't think right now with our grandchildren, we, we are constantly talking about it. We even have a puzzle a symbol, that, you can, right? that you can put together, and it's a floor mat. Last night, when I got home from the um, performance here, the, the program here, Cindy, we have uh, our daughter, we have her home right now, and so we had Adler there, her, her daughter, granddaughter. Well, Cindy and Adler were putting together the Advent floor mat, if you will. Well, in so doing, I'm listening to Mimi telling the story and Adler repeating it. Mm-hmm. Remember who this is? This is yeah. Mary. Now, why is Mary so important? Well, she's the mother of Jesus. Exactly. You know, where is Jesus, little Adler? Where, where, where is baby Jesus? You know, mm-hmm. where we're looking through the puzzle pieces, you yeah. know. And so even in, even yep. just right now, this yeah. whole season, mm-hmm. we're just telling the Christmas story mm-hmm. over and over and yeah. over to And our, thinking about all our listeners and viewers, um, Likely we'll spend time with family, young family, mm-hmm. and these are easy, I say easy, tangible, accessible mm-hmm. ways yes. that you are actually shaping your mm-hmm. little loved one mm-hmm. um, when you might get overwhelmed by the idea of, quote unquote, discipling your kid right. or whatever that mm-hmm. means. But this is, you know, you're growing them into Jesus followers mm-hmm. and educating them on the way mm-hmm. by doing relatively simple things like lighting candles mm-hmm. and um, letting them and tell the Christmas taking story. the Lord's Supper and Bring talking them along about it. with you. Yeah, talking mm-hmm. about it. So and good. you don't have to uh, have a degree in theology mm-hmm. and you don't have to That's know right. it all, but you can mm-hmm. just bring them along with you when you do these right. things. But right. But when you're doing it all, you're as a Christian, you're a theologian, you're expressing a worldview and yeah. you're teaching a worldview to your children and your grandchildren. And I'd yeah. say, no, <laughs> even if you're not doing any of that, you're doing, they're getting some worldview from they you. They are. They are. So anyway, mm-hmm. whether you want to be teaching them that one or That's not. Right. right. It's all good. So, Amen. Yeah. Well, well I think that covers it. Well, we I can like always it. talk more. It doesn't uh, always. We like have it. proven that. We we could go on and on and good. on. I like we have. It. I mean, it's Advent, it's Jesus, it's Christmas. Of course, mm-hmm. we can keep talking. Mm-hmm. But yep. good conversation. Well, next week let's look at just the eternal Word of God. That'll well, be next week. Why don't we? How about that? Easy. Mm-hmm. It's not a big <laughs> subject at all. <laughs> thank well, you. thank you for listening, everyone. And thank you for watching. If you watched on Facebook or YouTube, and we will be back next week. Leon. listening to the Tell Me More podcast today. You can subscribe to this podcast on your app of choice, or you can visit us at fbca.org to find out more information about the podcast and our church. Thanks for listening. Have a good day.